I want to ask you to go to John 11 and we'll begin our reading with verse 17. John 11:17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had, gone, had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, said, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is to come into the world. By any account, this is a mind-blowing miracle. I broke into the middle of the story, but something amazing was about to happen on the heels of this conversation. If there was any event that solidified for the Lord's followers, especially his disciples, that he was God, this is probably the one. Jesus stepped up to the grave of a friend, of a man who had been dead and in the ground or in a tomb for four days. And he raised him up again to life. He called the man's name and called him a dead man out of death. And the man came out alive again. And I have to say this to you because I say these kind of things every week. Sometimes we read the Bible, we read a story like this, and it really doesn't sink in that this is not a fable. This is not some kind of fairy tale. This is an actual historic event. This really happened. Jesus Christ really did call back from the dead a man who had been in the grave, who had been buried for four days. He reversed the irreversible. He restored the unrestorable. Imagine what it was like to be there. Imagine seeing and hearing this Miracle, my friends, it's breathtaking to think about. And we have never seen anything like this in our lifetimes. And we probably will not. Nobody else could have done this. But the Lord that day did something that to me is all inspiring. If you were there, if you were to see and to hear Jesus raise Lazarus to life... I want to ask you if you were presently, if you were present there, and I'm asking you to do your very best to put yourself there in your heart. Understand that this actually happened around people. If you were present that day, what would this have done with your faith in him? I think about this and I am overwhelmed by the power of that moment. When Jesus Christ steps to the grave Of a dead man. And calls him back to life. This is such a miracle to me. And it's so mind boggling. And and it's beyond what I'm able to totally wrap my, my mind around. Frankly today it's your faith that I want to talk to you about for a while. It's your faith that I want you to think about today. 
I read the book a while back called The Circle Maker. It's by Mark Patterson, Batterson, and it's a, a great book, a great book. I've enjoyed it. And some say it's a wonderful book on prayer, and I agree. It is a great book on prayer, but I think it's an even better book on faith. And a lot of what I'm about to share with you today was inspired by one of the chapters that I read in the book. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Their brother Lazarus were very good friends with Jesus. You'll remember that Jesus Christ did not have, uh, he was homeless. And he said of himself, I don't even have a pillow to lay my head on. When somebody said, Jesus, I'll follow you. He was pointing out to them, well, just so you remember, I'm homeless. And so often Jesus and his disciples, his followers were out there in the elements. But uh, when he would come through uh, the town where La uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, they always opened their home to him. And they had been very hospitable. I don't know the first time that they had invited them in. But let me tell you, it's a little bit of an undertaking to invite a man and his 12 followers to come into your house. And so Mary and Martha and Lazarus had become very, very good friends with Jesus. And whenever Jesus was by that way, they didn't, there was a standing invitation. They didn't have to always invite him. He could just come in. That was the kind of relationship that they had. They loved each other. Jesus loved them. They loved Jesus. They loved the disciples. And the disciples loved them. It was a good relationship. And Luke 10 tells us about an occasion that a lot of us are familiar with, with Martha and Mary. It was one of those times when Jesus was in the town and Martha wanted to do something really special. So she said, Jesus, why don't you, you and your dis disciples all come to my house and we'll put a dinner on for you. We'll feed you. Now, ladies, for a minute, would you just put yourself in Martha's shoes? And would you just imagine what it would be in your heart after you made that invitation? And how much work it would be. I'm pretty sure that what she wanted to do was put a nice meal on. So I don't think she was defrosting any hot dogs. Okay, I don't think there was tube steak. I think that she had, and, and by the way, a uh, little bit harder to prepare food back then. A little harder to store the food. So I don't know how she would put that much food together. But you're feeding 13 hungry men and your own family. And I want you to imagine, all of a sudden, like out of the blue, you're planning this thing. Like today. If, if after church today, you picked out 13 people who are hungry and say, Hey, come to my house for lunch. I'll make you some lunch. I'll, I'll, I'll fix you some dinner. And I want you to imagine how it would feel for you even to go to your freezer, even to go to your cupboards and to say, What will I fix? I, I can imagine Martha got a little bit worked up. And Martha's a doer, okay? I, I admire Martha. My wife's a little bit of a Martha. My wife likes to get things done. I always tease my wife and say, Honey, you're happiest when you're crossing things off your to-do list. That's when you're happy. Her favorite vacation is a staycation where I work. She loves that. She likes getting stuff done. And that, that's sort of, my wife has a little bit of that. I want to get this accomplished. Oh, this is awesome. We're getting this done. We're painting this and we're, we're, we're pulling the weeds here and all that. That's my wife. Martha is toiling, man. She goes home and, and she's a little bit uh, rattled. She's taking care of all these men and she wants it to be good. She loves Jesus. And so will you hear me say that one more time? Martha really loved Jesus. We forget that every once in a while. So she is working like crazy. She is preparing things. And ladies, I just, you know how it is. Uh, I, 
in my house, just because I thought it would be a nice thing to do, I decided one year, listen, honey, I don't want you to, to I don't want you to be in charge of Thanksgiving meal. Since it's my family that comes over, I'll cook the Thanksgiving meal. And I've been doing this for a while, okay? And I will have to tell you, it's stressful. Because everything has to be warm at the same time, right? Am I talking right here? And you have to time things out and it has to be cooked well. And, and, and man, it's a lot of pressure. Especially if you have like my family, there's 25 to 30 people coming over. And so Darlene is my assistant and she always has to bail me out because I'm always forgetting something or messing something up. But I can tell you, I, I feel that pressure. So Martha is all by herself scurrying around when sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is sitting around with his disciples. They're having conversation. There's laughter in the other room. Martha is toiling. She's working. She walks out. And where does she find her sister who should be in the kitchen helping her? She's sitting there with Jesus. She's smiling. Mary is relaxed. Mary is enjoying herself. Martha is rung up like a, an eight-day clock. She's all tense. Mary's sitting back there laughing with Jesus and listening to what he has to say, listening to his words. And Martha cracked. We read about this in Luke chapter 10. Martha finally gets fed up and walks up to Jesus. And I think she's perturbed at him. And she says, would you tell Mary to get up off of her lazy behind and get in here and help me fix all this food for you guys? And I can kind of feel the attitude of Martha. And I love the way that Jesus treats Martha. It's obvious that he loves her. He says her name twice. Oh, Martha, Martha. I'm not going to tell her to get up and fix me food because Mary has chosen the important thing. The thing that really matters. You're all worked up about this meal. And you should know, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. You should know that we love you and whatever you fix would be great. But Mary has chosen to sit at the feet of the Lord and master of her life. And that matters more. It's that Martha. That Martha that says something that to me is absolutely incredible to Jesus. It's that Martha who expresses a faith to Jesus that I just love. We've been um, in a series that I've, I've titled Incredible. And this series has focused our attention on God's incredible love for people, his heart, it's in his heart. It's how he treats people. It's how he deals with us. And I am so glad to say to you today that Jesus still loves us so much. I'm so glad that we serve an incredible God with an incredible heart for people and an incredible love for people. We've been looking in this series and and been I've shown you stories in scriptures and we've seen a lot of stories with Jesus interacting with people because I'm convinced that one of the key things that Jesus did was represent to the world, model it out, put its skin on it. He was the heart of God to people. All that Jesus did says I love you. And I, I, I would still hold that that is true. And we have been looking at this incredible God with this incredible heart and the life of Christ, how he has shown people that God loves us. And today, after this series, as I'm winding it up next week, but today I would ask you to make this message very personal. I want to ask you some questions. Do you truly believe that God's heart for you is incredible? Do you personally believe that he loves you. 
If I want to, or I want to ask you if you have any faith in him. Do you have faith in his ability? Faith in his mercy? Faith in his heart for you? Please make this message today very personal. For you, is God incredible? Is he powerful? Is he kind? I've been preaching these sermons for several weeks, claiming that God has an incredible love for people. Is that how you feel today as you sit here? Are you convinced that God is who I have been asserting to you that he is? Is he the God of the broken life like what was said in the video that we viewed at the end of last week's sermon? Does God love like that? So please run that through your faith filter today. I'm asking you right now, I'm, I'm going to move away uh, from a few other areas of faith. And I'm just going to ask you point blank. Do you believe God is that loving? Amen. That's the question that I ask you to ask yourself and to run through your filter. Is that really something that you hold on to in your belief system? I want to come back to the point of our scripture today and the thing that Martha said to Jesus that's so incredible Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here's the one. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. An old preacher once said, never put a period where God puts a comma and never put a comma where God puts a period. Jesus took the journey to Bethany because he knew that Lazarus' death wasn't the end of the story. Jesus knew that there was a comma there and not a period. Jesus knew that to the sentence, Lazarus died and was buried in a tomb. There, what belonged at the end of all of that was a comma because God wasn't done. And he saw that. Everybody else put a period there. He's gone. It's irretrievable. It's done. It's final. Death has done what death does. But God put a comma there. Of all people, Martha also did not place a period on her brother's death. And we read what she said to the Lord once he arrived. And this is a good statement. There's nothing wrong. And it would make a lot of sense to put a period after this sentence. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Period. And I'll just have to tell you, that's not a bad statement. I love the fact that she knows that Jesus had the power to to prevent the death of her brother. She had seen Jesus heal and she knew he could have prevented it. And that's not a terrible place to put a period. And there could have been a period, but she put a comma there with the conjunction, the little word, but B-U-T. But I know that even now. God will give you whatever you ask. What an amazing display of faith from, of all people, Martha. It was Martha. And I want us to center in on that sentence and more importantly on the two-word phrase, even now. Actually, as Batterson points out in his book, there are two levels of faith that Martha expressed. And the first level is also expressed by her sister, Mary. She said the exact same words to Jesus. Lord, if you've been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. And again, that's a faith that's okay. And many of us possess that faith today. 
if I were to ask you, how many of you here believe, and this is rhetorical, don't raise your hand, how many of you here believe that, in fact, Jesus has the power to overcome death? I think most of us will say, absolutely, Son of God. How many of you believe he can heal any infirmity? Absolutely, Son of God. I believe he has that ability. I believe he has that power. And that's a good kind of faith. It's a good kind of faith to recognize that God can do anything that he wants to do. Amen? You, you know that, right? He is, the, uh, he is the creator of this universe. He is king of kings. He is master of all masters. And if God wants to do something, guess what? It happens. And it's a good thing to have that level of faith. If we're not there, then, then, then that's a challenge for us because we're going to struggle. And I do know that there are many people in our world that don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus Christ. So if you're at this level of faith, you have a level of faith that a lot of people don't have. Hopefully, every believer knows that God can do anything he wants to do. That level of faith says we know that God is powerful. We know that he has the power to prevent bad things from happening and the power to do amazing things. And it's a good faith. But it is a faith that sometimes can get us in trouble as well. Because with that, we sometimes will say, well, God, you had the power. Why didn't you show up? Why didn't you prevent this? Why didn't you do something? Why was there no miracle? Father, why is there a period there? I'm not going to take a lot of time with this now, but I need to say something to you, something that occurred to me. I know that for every one of us who has lost a loved one who is a believer, you lost somebody in your life who who you knew went to heaven because they had a relationship with Christ. I need to tell you something. For me, every one of those people, my grandmother, my mother, there are several others that I've lost over my, my, in my lifetime and, and uh, watched the casket go down into the ground. And in a human, human uh, point of view, we would put a period there. They're dead, they're gone. But I want you to know because they're believers, there's a comma there. You see, I'll see my mom again one day in glory. It's over for right now, but there's just a pause I get to see her again. I get to be with my grandmother. I get to see them again. God has put a comma there because of what Christ has done in their lives. And I just I just throw that out there for some of you who struggle with why did God let my loved one die? But Martha expressed another level of faith that many Christians do not express even now. And I hope to inspire our church to make a shift to what I will call today, even now, faith. I hope we can go to this faith level. I think it has the potential to powerfully affect our prayer lives and the trajectory of our ministry here at the Gospel Chapel. It is the level of faith that says, even now, I know who you are. Even now, Jesus, I know who you are. Verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And then verse 27, I love this. Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into this world. You see people with this even now level of faith know exactly who Jesus is. And because they know Jesus, they know that nothing is impossible for him. They know that even now when things are bleak, Jesus has unlimited power, unlimited creativity, and he can do anything that he wants to do. They know that Jesus has wisdom that is as far above the heavens are above the earth 
above our wisdom. Jesus knows and Jesus will do what is best. It's the, this level of faith, the even now faith that says to Jesus, I know who you are. You're the one who loves me more than anyone else could. You died for me. You gave your life for me. I know that you love me because I know who you are, Jesus. I know who you are. You're the one who created water, turned it into wine, and then walked on it one day. That's who you are. You command the wind and the waves, and they have to be obedient to you. You see everything. You know everything. You read the hearts and the thoughts of people. You have healed, Jesus, countless people. You have fed thousands of people at a time with a little boy's lunch. I know who you are. You don't have to have much in your hand to do miracles. The angels of heaven revere you and they worship you and the demons of hell and Satan himself flee from you in terror when you cast them out. That's who you are. Even death cannot resist your power, Jesus. You are Jesus Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. I love what Colossians chapter 1 tells us about Jesus. I'm just going to read these verses. Let them sink in and and run this through your filter again. Do I believe this? Do I believe that this is who Jesus is? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. You see, this is a faith that Job expressed when he said of the Lord, though he slay me, I'll keep hoping in him because I know who he is. I know that he is God. This faith says that even now, when I don't have a job, I know who you are. Even when I'm sick and infirm, I still know who you are. Even now, when my heart is broken and I feel all alone, I know who you are. Even now, when everywhere in my life I look, I see failure and brokenness, I still know who you are. Please listen to me today. If you know Jesus Christ, you know that he has made many, many wonderful promises in the word of God. And he never lies. He never lies. If you know who Jesus is, you know this. He is for you. He died for you. He gave himself for you. He already provided for salvation. And he already secured eternal life for you. And you know that he loves you. And will do what is best for you. You know who he is. You know his heart. You know he prays for you. And he sustained you. Amen. And you know. If you know Jesus. That Jesus is faithful to his word. He doesn't break it. Even now. When nothing seems to be going the way you think it should. You know that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And therefore, in complete control of this universe, you know that according to God's word, everything was made by him, through him, and is held together by him. I know, even now, I know who you are. This is a faith that says, even now, I know you are here. I know you're with me. 
when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet with him. And this level of faith recognizes that the Lord Jesus Christ is right here with us. I want to remind you again today that Jesus rose from the grave. He's not there. He ascended into heaven and he poured out God, the Holy Spirit into Christians to dwell in their hearts. And what that says is God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit are all one that Jesus lives within us. The Holy Spirit is referred to by Paul as the spirit of Christ. And I want you to know that Jesus is present here. Even now, when everybody else walks away, Jesus is here and he is with you. He'll never leave you. He is here for you. And this level of faith says that in the down times, in the difficult times, we believe that God is here. No matter where you go, no matter what happens to you, no matter what you are doing, God is right there with you. And it's a wonderful thing. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, the Lord is with us. He's right here. I want you to know that. Why is that important? Because when you read the Bible, you know that when God shows up, miracles happen. Amen? God does miracles. And he's the same God today as he was yesterday and beyond. He's still God. And he does miracles. You know that when God is present, nothing is impossible. When a person knows that God is right there with them, it emboldens them. It's the faith that we see in three Hebrew young men who are challenged by a tyrannical leader to, to tell them, you cannot pray to anybody else. You will hear some music and you will bow before me and you will worship me. Or you will be burned up alive in a furnace. And this faith said to these young men, the Lord is with us. And they looked at the king in the eye and with great boldness, they, they said to him, let it be known, no, no, king, you can do whatever you want to do to us. But we will not bow because our God is able to deliver us from the flames of that furnace. And even if he doesn't take take or protect our lives, he will deliver our souls in the glory. They knew that God would be with them. And and I love this story. I'm, I'm sad for the fact that by following the king's orders, some men were killed by the heat. The ones throwing the boys into the furnace were killed by the intensity of the heat. They were burned right there. That's how hot that furnace was. But the boys are thrown into there and the king somehow has a view and he's looking into the middle of those flames. And again, this is not a fairy tale. This is not some kind of fable. This actually happened. He looks down there and he counts four. There are four people walking down there. Why? Because the Lord was present with them. He said, one of those looks like the son of God. And it was Jesus. He was in the furnace with them so that finally when they didn't burn up, He said, open the door. They came out. They weren't even smelling like smoke. I just need you to know that when God is present, the impossible becomes possible. The the absolutely irrevocable becomes something that happens. Because God can do that. He is God. He can suspend any law that he has already created. He doesn't live in the confines of gravity or any other law like time. God is God. And he overpowers it all. And it's that kind of faith. It's the kind of faith that emboldened Daniel to go into a, a, a den of lions. He knew his God was with him. And the lions couldn't do a thing to him. 
We need to understand it's that kind of faith that propelled a young man. He was just a little guy to go out into a valley to face a giant and slay him in the name of Jesus. Because he knew his God was with him. I love that story too. I won't take a whole long time. But there's an exchange between Goliath and David that I love. Goliath is just offended that this little flyweight has come out to fight him. He's the heavyweight champion of the world. You're sending a little boy with a stick. That's what he said. What am I, like a dog to you that you're going to hit me with your little staff? And David just looked at the man and said, "You, you dumb old giant, you don't understand. I'm not fighting this battle. You don't see him. But the Lord of hosts is with me. And you're going to die. He's, and, and by the way, you guys with Goliath, you're going down too. I love this story. And God did what God did because God was present with him. God was there. And I want you to, to, to consider, do you have a faith that says, even now I know you are present with me. Over years of ministry, I have to tell you, one of the things, one of the sad duties that a pastor has to, to be present for are deathbed experiences. I have stood by the bed of people who are dying, believers and non-believers. And I will just simply tell you, there is a vast difference in the experience between somebody who knows the Lord and knows that the Lord is there with them and the person who does not know Christ. Vast difference. Christians, what are you facing today? I want you to know that God is right here. Right here. Even now, when the odds are against you, he is right there. Even now, when your enemy seems to have you on the ropes and the demons surround you. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6 is a verse for you. Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid or terrified because of them. Because for the Lord, your God goes with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. I love that verse. I claim that verse today. I need to know that the Lord is with me. Don't you? I'm glad he is. Even now, I know who you are, Jesus. Even now, I know you are with me. And even now, I know it's not over. It's not over. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask, Martha said. What a statement of faith. I love it that Martha said this to Jesus. Please try to capture this. As long as you are still on this planet and you are still alive and there's breath in your lungs, the last chapter on you has not been written yet. I love with an old, I don't know who it is that coined this, but many years ago I used to hear a phrase like this. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. And it's not over. And I want you to know, if you're breathing, there's there's hope. You're not done. Your story's not all written. You may have been knocked down. You may have been felt felt like you're defeated. And you may feel like everybody else has put a period there. But let me tell you something. There's still a comma hanging there. And there's still a great big God that can write a new chapter and change your life from rags to riches, if you will. That's who God is. And he delights in doing that. He delights in stepping in and doing the impossible and turning all the odds around. He delights in changing everything around. You keep running into roadblocks, but even now it's not over. You're in a circumstance where you run out of month before you run out of money. 
or I should reverse that. You run out of money before you run out of month. But it's not over. Even now, it's not over. You've failed over and over again. You've sinned. You've fallen over and over again. It's not over. God's not done. Even now, he can turn it all around. Don't put a period there. Put a comma. God's not done with you yet. It's not over. God is still God. He's still here. And it's not over. Even now when your dream has been dead and buried for days. And there's nothing but a period there from everybody else. It's not over. Even when others say it is. It isn't over. Because God is still here. Understand that even now when it would take a miracle. For something good to turn this around. It's not over because God does miracles. Not only is it all right for you to believe in God like that, it is commanded by him. He says, trust in me. Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, we are told. He commands us to do that. And I'm always moved by when, when Jesus told the parable about faith and persistent prayer is the story of this little woman who just needed justice from a judge. This judge was ungodly. He didn't care a whit about the Lord. He didn't care a whit about justice. He was just collecting a paycheck. But this woman wouldn't leave him alone. She kept going to him and said, I need justice. I need you to take care of this. And she just nagged him until finally he says, I'm so tired of her. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just going to give her what she wants. So she leaves me alone. And the Lord said, listen. You don't have to do that with God, but understand persistence is power. And so be persistent. Don't be afraid to trust in a God who will even now, and when it seems impossible, do the impossible. I love that. And I ask you again, do you believe that God does that? Can he love you enough to hear your prayers? It's okay, my friends, more than okay. To ask God for miracles. To believe God for miracles. It's not over. God can anoint or can empower an anointing service like we had today. It's not over. God has power to do the unthinkable. I was young and now I'm old, the psalmist said. Yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. I prepared this message knowing that the Lord inspired me to preach this for somebody here. And we have been looking at this this whole series and considering the fact that we I've been I've been trying my best to 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 put forth a case that God is incredible and his heart for people is incredible. And so now we boil it down to where the rubber meets the road, because it's one thing to nod your head in assent and say, yeah. I believe that God is incredible. It's another to say, I'm going to trust in God in these hard things. And I'm going to be with Martha and say, Lord, looks like a period's up there. But even now, I'm putting a comma on that. Even now, I know God will give you whatever you ask. And I know you're still with me. And again, these three things, I know who you are. And I know you're here. So it's not over. I'm asking you, can you muster that kind of faith when it just seems like nothing is going right? Can you grab a hold of that and say, even now, I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ? Because let me tell you again, one more time, 
this incredible story. Jesus looked at Martha after she said to him, even now I know the Lord give you whatever you want. And Jesus said, your brother's going to rise again. I love this. I can see a little smile come across his face as he looks at Martha and he says, he's going to rise again, Martha. And Martha goes right to the resurrection, which would have been a proper thing. I know he will in the, in the resurrection. I know I'll see him down the road. And Jesus said these powerful words that I hope sinks in today. I am the resurrection. I am the life. If anyone believes in me, they don't die. And, and then he looked at Martha. He said, Martha, do you believe? And I love Martha because she says, here's what I know. I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the son of God. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the divine one sent from heaven. And Jesus, probably in the back of his mind, said, that's enough. That's enough faith right there. And he promptly walks to the grave. And I don't know how far it was. I think she was close to the grave. But he promptly walks up to where the stone is. And he calls out his friend's name. And I want you to know I am convinced this is true. I believe he called Lazarus come forth because if he would have just said come forth, everybody dead would have come out of their grave that day. Why? Because that's just God. So he had to get the right one. And so he says, my friend Lazarus, you've been in the ground for four days. And I know the objections because he he had had them roll the stone away. And and one of the sisters was concerned. Hey, it stinks. Decay has, has worked. Decay is, is, is taking his body down. Decomposition is in effect. Lord, by now he stinks. And Jesus just said, roll the stone away. And he calls out his friend. And I just want to be, I want to see this on my playback device, the gasp on their face when suddenly he's appearing there and he's got his grave clothes on. He's wrapped all up in linen and he's standing there like a mummy. And people do not know what to do. So Jesus directs him, go take his, his, his linen off. You know, let's not suffocate him after I just raised him. Let's, you know, let's help him here. And so they, they go to Lazarus and these two broken hearted young women got their brother back. And I don't know how long God allowed Lazarus to live. Maybe he had the heartbreak of watching the one who raised him from the dead die for him. Could have happened. It wasn't long after Lazarus was raised that Jesus lost his life. But then maybe he was present when the news came. He's alive. Mary and Martha got to know that. They got to witness Jesus, the risen Savior, again. I'm just sharing all this to say to you guys... Church, we serve an incredible God. And I know that sometimes people are putting periods here and there on your life and they're writing you off and they're thinking this is over and things aren't going the way you think they should. And I'm begging you, put a comma there and say, even now, I know who Jesus is and I know he's with me and I know it's not over. Folks, for the gospel chapel, it ain't over. We still got a lot of work to do and God's going to help us. It's not over. We've had some stumbles and pain and, and things like that. But man, we're far from over, right? 
we got a long ways to go and God is going. He's with us. I know who he is and he will bless us. He will bless you. Somebody needed to hear that today. You needed this. You needed your faith to be kind of shaken up a little bit so you take a good long look at it. 